Hey, thanks for checking out the So What Factor. My name's Randy Bennett. I'm a United Methodist pastor, and these sermons answer the question, I hope, so what? So what? Is God real? So what am I supposed to do with my life? So what does the Bible actually say? So in every sermon, it's my hope that you'll figure out what the so what is. But if you don't know, or it wasn't clear, feel free to find me on Facebook at Randy Bennett Jr., and shoot me a message. You can also email me at pastorrandybennett at yahoo.com. Be happy to hear your questions and, and, uh, and connect with you. So thanks for listening. Take care and God bless. Let us pray. How convicted I am, O oh Lord how much I need you, and how often I think in my own strength I can confide. Lord, that's why we come, and that's why we come to consider your word, and to allow your spirit to write and rewrite and rewrite on our heart the right narrative of who you are and who we are in you. And so, Lord, I pray now that you take the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart, make them wholly yours, that in this place and space today, together, we might grow in grace. These things I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's amazing. Have you ever been somewhere where you're like, that's amazing? Right? Like, like you ever go to the Grand Canyon or someplace like that, Niagara Falls? That's amazing, right? Right? Do you ever see like, like a huge pizza buffet? You're like, that's amazing. <laughs> what are what are some amazing things that you've seen? This morning sunrise. This morning sunrise. Birth of a child. Birth of a child. Yes, ma'am. Antarctica. Antarctica. Heard it's cold there. Yeah. Huh? Yes, sir. Cumberland Falls in Kentucky. That's amazing. You ever heard the word amazing used negatively? This past summer, the youth went on a mission trip. And we happened to stop at the Walmarts in Corbin, Kentucky to pick up some supplies uh, for the youth uh, for lunch as we headed for a day of fun. Now, I don't know if this was Christina's bright idea or if it was Andy Howe or Ann Carter. I don't know who was responsible or who decided it would be fun to try these. If you can't read what it says, it says tropicals. Tropicals. Uh-huh. They're pickles that are tropical fruit punch flavored. When I tasted that pickle, 
It was amazing. <laughs> I have never in my life tasted something like that. It was amazing. Oh. Now, I think everybody like decided like, you know, you just you have to eat like part of one or whatever just to show how tough you are or whatever. I put one in my mouth, I chewed it, I walked away, pretend like I swallowed, spit it in the woods. Amazing. Amazing. Jesus had become predominantly successful in his ministry. In fact, the first real instance that Jesus was ever rejected came when he had gone to the Gentile reason of the Gerasenes. Y'all remember the pigs? And from that trip, only the demoniac who Jesus saved, delivered, became his follower. Everyone else said, Jesus, please leave us. Now, the Jewish people back on the other side of the lake, they loved Jesus. Where, wherever he went, he was received by large crowds there to hear him teach and to experience his miracle-working power. One would think with such success that his hometown of Nazareth would be happy for his return, but they were not. Jesus in Nazareth. Jesus left there and, and went to his hometown and accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath became, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. They were not amazed as like, man, that was amazing. They were amazed that that's a terrible taste in our mouth. See, when we read the word amazed, we often think of it in a positive light. But as you saw from the introduction to today's sermon, amazing doesn't always imply greatness, right? As we read the rest of the story of Jesus returning to Nazareth, we see that the people were amazed by the scandal of Jesus. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom he's been given that he even does miracles isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Some translations have it. Isn't this the carpenter and Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't the sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Took offense. The word translated took offense is scandalizomai. It's where we get scandal from in the English language. What's so scandalous about Jesus? What is so discreditable, disreputable, dishonorable, improper, unseeming, sordid, surreal, malicious, slanderous, libellous, defamatory, calumnious, and aspersive about Jesus? I can use a thesaurus. <laughs> what offense did Jesus commit against the law of God that so outraged his hometown that the scandal of him amazed them? We, as followers of Jesus, 2,000 years later, have a hard time grasping why the Lord's own hometown would reject him. But remember, we know the whole story, and we're Americans. How often do we read the story of Jesus through American eyes? With the American bias against the notion of a firmly entrenched class system. The American story is based off the American dream. 
That dream believes that a person from the humblest beginnings can rise to be among the greatest in our nation. That such a person only need pull him or herself up by the bootstraps and he or she can become anything they want to only in America. But you know, really, until the invention of the American experiment, which I believe was completely and utterly inspired by the grace of God, that American experiment, a republic that's constitutionally democratic, where all, at least on paper, were considered equal under the eyes of God, the notion of ascending beyond one's social class was only a dream. In other words, no one could rise to greatness if he or she didn't already come from greatness or of the ruling or the upper class. And that would have been especially true in Jesus' time and in his culture. See, the scandal of Jesus is that he was a low-class nobody from nowhere. I can't believe he said that about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's true. He was a low-class nobody from nowhere. The boy was born in a barn. Jesus came from the lowest of low class. There's nothing phenomenal or rare about Jesus' family or his trade. And his humble origin makes him implausible as some great figure of wisdom. How can someone so ordinary perform miracles and speak wisdom? How can this one so familiar to us be God's anointed? It's almost as if the people of Nazareth themselves were asking just what Nathaniel asked in John's Gospel. Nazareth, can anything good come from here? You know, there's not much known about Jesus' first 30 years of life. We don't know if he was a handful as a toddler, as, as a teenager. Was he a good student? Was he constantly directing or correcting his teachers? Was he the kind of kid that would multiply a dozen chocolate chip cookies into a hundred? We don't know. But these people, they knew they were there for Jesus' upbringing. They were there for the scandal of his mother's pregnancy before marrying Joseph. They watched as Jesus learned his earthly father's trade of working with his hands. To them, Jesus was a nobody from nowhere, just as they were nobodies from nowhere. Therefore, it's not really preposterous for a question such as, who does this guy think he is to be asked? If you listen carefully, you can almost hear Jesus' family and the other people from the community saying, Jesus, how could you embarrass your mama like this? And Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, including his own family, rejected him. Nazareth was amazed by the scandal of Jesus. And Jesus was amazed by the faithlessness of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives and his own house, is a prophet without honor. He couldn't do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus rebuked the Nazarenes, including his own relatives, his own house, by quoting that common proverb of his day. 
See, the people of God had failed to honor the one and only Son of God. In fact, they failed to honor Jesus long before He even arrived that day. Did you know that? They failed to honor Him before He even arrived. See, verse 5 is just a little misleading here, y'all. When it reads that Jesus couldn't do any miracles there, that's not true. It's not because Jesus lacked the power to perform miracles. Rather, only a few people showed up in faith to be healed. Everybody had already determined this was going to be a sham. So just a handful of people showed up to be healed. And guess what happened? He did heal them. Jesus healed those who were seeking that healing. And he was amazed at his hometown's lack of faith. So Randy, what does this story of Jesus' rejection by his hometown have to do with the title of today's sermon, authorized by Jesus? Well... Who was with Jesus at Nazareth? His disciples. See, before Jesus authorized his disciples, which we're going to talk about, he wanted to make sure that they understood the reality of their mission. Some would accept the message they shared, but some would reject it. Now, have y'all noticed the sandwich pattern yet in Mark's Gospel? It's not a sandwich like a ham and cheese sandwich. I like those. Those are good. But like he sandwiches one narrative in the midst of another. Then he goes back to the narrative he started with. I find that a bit frustrating. I like to prefer linear thought process, progression, you know. I like the sequence of things. Mark doesn't do that. It drives me a little crazy. But in today's scripture lesson, we've also got to address the narrative of John the Baptist's execution. Now, I'm already 13 minutes into this sermon. Did you know that? How am I going to cover like another 20 verses if I'm going to offer an expository sermon? Ah, don't worry. I'm going to get you out in time to beat the Baptist to breakfast. I promise. Okay? But just, just, just let me um, give you a, a quick breakdown of what's happening in the Scripture lesson today. Okay, the overall. And sadly, it's, it was in the bulletin and received by folks as 6, 1 through 29, by a minute for it to be 6, 1 through 30. Okay, Jesus rejected at Nazareth. That's Mark 6, 1 through 6a. Then the disciples are authorized by Jesus to go, and they go. That's Mark 6, 6b through 13. Then we get John the Baptist's death, this narrative about John the Baptist's death, 6, 14 through 29. And then in 6.30, the authorized disciples return and report what they accomplished. See what I'm talking about, what I mean, sandwich? Now, I'm not going to unpack all of John the Baptist's execution. Because the point of John the Baptist's execution between the sending of the disciples and the return is twofold. One, it foreshadows Jesus' death. It foreshadows the death of Jesus down to the fact that John was laid in a tomb. Jesus was laid in a tomb, right? People thought John was resurrected. Jesus will be resurrected. And just as the forerunner of Jesus, the Son of God, was executed, so too will the Son of God Himself be executed. So that's number one. Number two, it's important for these disciples, these authorized disciples, to realize they may face death in addition to rejection. They may face death in addition to rejection. Okay, that's important for them to get. This knowledge is as important for the disciples then as it has been for the church throughout the centuries and even today. Brothers and sisters, it's important that we know 
that we face the possibility of rejection and even death for the gospel. And while we in America have, for the most part, been spared the possibility of being executed for our faith, many other brothers and sisters around the world have paid that ultimate price for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. In other words, to be authorized by Jesus includes the possibility of rejection and death. But it's far more likely that those authorized by Jesus will find success. How do I know this? Because we, brothers and sisters, are the fruit of authorized disciples. We're the fruit of authorized disciples. And on this Sunday, like every other Sunday since the resurrection, Christians are worshiping around the world and God is continuing to add to our number. So as we finish today's sermon, let's consider what it means to be authorized by Jesus. Calling the twelve to him, Jesus sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. Now this word sent, that's an important word in Christianity. It's the Greek word apostelos. And here it's used in its verb form. It's where we get the word apostle from. To send forth on a certain mission, like to preach. And that word uh, authority is exousia. It's permission, authority, right, liberty, power to do something. It combines two words, right and might. Jesus sent them with the right and the might to accomplish his mission. And this account, y'all, emphasizes that all missionary work must be authorized and empowered by Jesus as an extension of his own mission. Even though the disciples didn't yet know the full story of Jesus' redeeming love. They didn't yet know the whole story. It was being written right before their eyes. The Lord still sent them to spread the gospel to more people than he could reach alone. And this also would prepare the disciples for their later mission as apostles. Sent one. So Jesus authorizes them with instructions. Authorized with instructions. These were the instructions. Take nothing for the journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts, no tropicals. Don't take those with you. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Jesus said, don't take any necessities. Don't even take your outer robe. See, in the, in the culture, there usually had two robes, an inner robe and an outer robe. That outer robe also served as a blanket at night. Okay, so don't take that. No, no. Only take your staffs and your sandals. Why? Is Jesus cruel and unusual? No. Two reasons. Number one, the mission was that urgent. It was that urgent. Drop what you're doing, fellas, and go. There's no time to be wasted. Go. And number two, because Jesus wanted the disciples to be completely dependent upon the grace of God to meet their needs. He wanted them to be completely dependent on the grace of God. You're not taking anything with you. Why did Jesus say to stay in the same home once they were welcomed there? Well, because Jesus, Jesus didn't want them moving on for better accommodations, Right? I mean, what kind of message would it send if, if you're staying in a little two-bedroom house with the first people that invited you in, and, and all of a sudden, I don't know, somebody with like a ten-bedroom house and, and, and five-time supply of tropicals invites you to go up there? 
and you walk away from that one house and go to the other, what would that communicate about the class system that Jesus came to destroy? And what's up with shaking the dust off the feet if the message of Jesus was rejected? What's that what's about? So Jesus had already modeled what that looked like. First with the Gerasenes, and now with his own hometown of Nazareth. Again, it's about getting the message of Jesus out. It's an urgent message. There's not enough time to argue. Listen to that again. Just shake the dust off your feet. There's not enough time to argue. You ever encounter somebody that wants to argue with you? Uh-huh. They just want to argue about something in Christianity that they don't understand, but they think they understand, so they just want to argue it to see if they sound smart. I played with those people um, I played with some Mormons over Christmas break. It was so much fun. <laughs> they made the mistake of hanging out with me. So I messed with them. I argued with them. They came to my in-law's house. And, um, and uh, these poor little guys, I mean, you know, 18 years old, on their mission trip, come to the door. They got their, their Mormon attire on. They knock on the door. They, they start talking to me. And I'm like, score. Well, first off, my, my father-in-law sees them come. He's like, oh, no, not Mormons. <laughs> And I said, it's cool, John. I got this. I got this, you know. Uh, I've got a Marine Corps t-shirt on. It's just hair too tight for me. I go out and I'm like, hey, guys. <laughs> right. They start sharing with me about the Book of Mormon. I start sharing with them about the Jesus I know. 45 minutes later, their heads were swimming. They were walking down the street. And they said, so um, can we come back and see you sometime? I said, well... No, I'm just visiting. <laughs> I wasted their time. I wasted their time on purpose because their mission is not my mission. My mission was to try to get a little bit of Jesus, the right understanding to their lives. But I wasted their time. Don't waste time with people that want to argue. Jesus said, just shake the dust off your feet and go. So they went. They went with authority. They went out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Now remember, y'all, the entire story of Jesus was still being written. So they went and they shared what they knew, repentance. And what does repentance mean? That's right. That's right. Thank you. You're walking this way. To repent means you stop and you turn around and you start walking this way. And if you walk with Jesus, there are things you must regularly repent for. By the way, it doesn't just, it's not just a once and done thing, right? Like, I've been convicted. I was convicted today, this morning at the gym, about 3.45, I was convicted. I'm trying to lead this congregation through this change by my own power. I was convicted by it because I drove myself crazy this week. Not breathing, not thinking, dropping balls. I'm like, oh Lord, this is... And in my own strength, I was trying to confide. So it's time to repent. To turn around and walk the other way and trust that God is going to care for it. Turn 180. Go the other way. What were the people to repent from? Y'all, for them, it was to turn away from the rules of a dead religion and towards a relationship with the living God. See, rules never healed anybody. 
Rules never drove away any demons. But Jesus, Jesus did both because he was God, the living God, sent to resuscitate a dead people into a living relationship. So the disciples went. They went with the authority of Jesus. And then, after that big long John the Baptist narrative, the authorized return. The apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Again, we see that word there, apostles, apostello. It's not the way that we think of it yet. It's not yet in the book of Acts. This is just a foreshadow of the things to come. But the disciples weren't yet the apostles of Acts. They were simply the sent ones. The sent ones that were authorized by Jesus. There was still a suffering. There was still a death. There was still a resurrection and ascension and a coming of the Holy Spirit before the full gospel of Jesus Christ could be preached to the ends of the earth. And it has been and is currently being preached to the ends of the earth by those authorized by Jesus, and that includes us. So brothers and sisters today, don't leave this place without realizing That you are authorized by Jesus. You are authorized by Jesus. You know, some people, some people grow up with the stories of Jesus. But when they become adults, they depart from the faith. They go and they search for answers elsewhere. They... They think maybe the world can provide better answers than what they learned in church growing up. And as you talk to them, you find out that they're not really sure of anything anymore. Including whether or not they can come back to church. You're authorized by Jesus to go get them. And bring them back. Now, there's some people out there that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't know that there is a God who loves them just the way they are. A God who desires to save their soul from eternal separation from him. You are authorized by Jesus to go get them. And you know some people are going to reject what you have to say about Jesus. They may even reject you as a person. And that hurts, doesn't it? When they don't just reject the message, but they reject you. You know what? You're authorized by Jesus to shake that dust off your feet and keep moving. Why? Because the mission is urgent. And you've been authorized by Jesus to carry it out. Lastly, oh, praise Jesus, lastly. Don't forget to return to worship next week and report back to Jesus. See, in this manner, you might be fed and you might be nurtured and you might share in one another's trials and triumphs together before once again being sent. You are authorized by Jesus. Go in his name. Amen.